What's up, everybody? You guys enjoying Desperation so far? I mean, this, this conference is incredible. I think it deserves a little more than a woo. Are you guys enjoying Desperation so far? I am so honored to be here. First of all, I want to um, honor Pastor David Perkins who I deeply love and just thank so much for this opportunity. He is an incredible pastor, a mentor for me in my life. And I'm just so honored to be here at this incredible church and in front of you guys. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. My name is Mark Pettis. And guess what, everybody? I'm from Alabama. Anybody ever heard of Alabama? I talk to people all across the country and they're like, yeah, I went to Alabama on a mission trip. And I'm like, oh, awesome. Like y'all got to bring Jesus to us. And also electricity. We still need electricity in Alabama. Like... We'd really love that, and um, you know, we just kind of we just kind of back in the in the Stone Age in, in Alabama. We got some great college football, though. Anybody say you know, roll tide? Anybody ever seen the Alabama Crimson Tide play football? Okay, everybody say roll tide. Come on, just one time. It feels good. Say roll tide, because that's how we say it. We say roll tide, roll tide, y'all. Anyway, I'm actually not an Alabama fan. I'm an Auburn fan. And so War Eagle there, none of y'all care about that. But we live in Birmingham, myself and Pastor Allen. Pastor Allen, would you stand up? He's a, an incredible part of our team. Pastor Allen, would you guys welcome Pastor Allen? So we live in Birmingham, and Birmingham is a great city. Birmingham is kind of the central part of Alabama, and it's, it's the hub there. It's our, our largest city. And, and Birmingham, in Birmingham, we, we actually shorten Birmingham to the ham. It's called the ham. Everybody say the ham. So if you talk to anyone from Alabama, say, hey, you from the ham? And they'll be like, oh, you row tide. That's awesome, y'all. So they'll think you're local, a local, all right? And so we, we, we frog gig in Alabama. Y'all know what frog gigging is? Square dancing? I'm serious. We square dance. If, we, if y'all have a square dance, we'll be all about that. We square dance. We have a whole lot of fun, and we love Jesus. We're, we're just seeing incredible things happen in our city, and it's a lot of fun. I'm so excited to share with you guys for a few minutes today. I'm part of a great local church called Church of the Highlands there in Birmingham, and it's kind of cool. My pastor, actually, a long time ago, was the youth pastor here at New Life, and so really cool to be here. He started the group called Tag that was here for so many years, and just really, yeah, yeah, rotide. All right, so... And so anyway, so it's really cool for me to be back here. I love my pastor. I love our church. I am married to my college sweetheart. Her name is Jill. And in Alabama, I say Jill. All right. I've tried to fix that when I travel to say Jill. Jill. Everybody say Jill. We say Jill. When I first met her, she's from Texas. Her mom couldn't even understand my accent. She was like, what is he saying? I don't, your name doesn't have like four syllables. It's like, it's just Jill. Why is he saying Jill? And so anyway, I've worked on that. And so we're in, we're just in love. She is incredible. She's a soccer player. Any ladies in here, athletes who play soccer, that's awesome. She's that kind of girl and just loves all that. And uh, really fun. We actually have three kids. We've had three kids in five years. Really, and my oldest actually just turned five. And, and so I'm, that's what I tell everybody. We know what causes that and we're not stopping. Like we love each other and we love kids. And so... Um, we have three boys, and I'm going to show you all the first two, the two oldest, Landon and Judah. Can you get, put Landon and Judah on the screen there? Landon on the right, Judah the lion on the left, and then we just had our third uh, a little over a year ago named Owen. There's Owen. Owen. He's, he's got an attitude. Y'all, little kid, have you ever been on a little baby with an attitude? That is, that's him. He's, he's like, he like runs the household right now, and it's, it's a whole lot of fun. So anyway, well, I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to talk to you guys about mission. Everybody say Mission. Truly, I mean, this is, uh, I, I don't know if David knew this when he asked me, I, I mean, it's just an honor to be here to speak on anything, but this is truly my life calling 
to speak to teenagers and to pastor teenagers in this area. So to say, I really want you guys to hear this. I don't want to say this at the very beginning. I have a burden for what I'm going to share to you. It's not just a topic for me. There's a burden in my heart today that what is in God's word on, around the area of mission would transfer from what I'm saying that God would go into action and it would get into your hearts and that you would leave here, leave this weekend, leave even this session and that something would have been deposited that would change every day from this day forward. There's an incredible scripture, Ephesians 2.10 in the word says that you're God's workmanship created in advance to do great things. That God created you in advance generations ago. I talked to our church a few weeks ago just about how when the earth was made, he knew when he created the dirt you're sitting on right now that you would be sitting in here today. And part of all of that, I think when he was doing that, he was thinking, I hope that when they're sitting there listening to a session in the middle of a conference, that they'll just hear in that moment, they'll just hear that you're created for great things and you are. And God has done everything from the moment he created this world to this moment to awaken that in your heart. Y'all look at me. You're made to change the world. You have everything inside of you created in advance to do great things for God. And the hurdle that we have to get there is simply believing the truth. It's, it's already true about us. It's just believing that and then stepping out in faith. And that's what today's session is going to be all about. You guys excited about that? Man, that's two weeks. I am from, y'all, I came from Alabama. Are y'all excited about God today and what he can do in your life? All right. Say roll tide. Roll tide. You don't have to believe it, just say it. I don't believe it, but it's just fun to say. All right, all right, anyway. Open up your Bibles to Numbers, the book of Numbers, 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 Numbers. Uh, I don't like numbers. I don't like math. Anybody hate math? I hate math. Hate it. Hate math. I don't understand, like, the whole, I just, I don't know, anyway. I didn't, wasn't a big fan of school, period. Anybody like that? Just like, anyway. So, Numbers 25, it's there in the Old Testament, kind of an obscure passage. I want to share with you guys today, um, man, this is such a great, great scripture. So I, I'm a, I do love to teach. And so as I'm sharing this, I want to teach you guys a little bit about the word of God. I want you to love the word. If that's all you heard today is just, man, I think I should love God's word. I would, I would say that was a success for today's session. Numbers 25 there in verse one says, while Israel, now Israel, most of you guys have heard of Israel, have a probably pretty good idea of Israel and their importance. But just to kind of reiterate here, Israel is a nation of people that God has put together. He's formed them for a purpose, kind of like we're going to talk about today, purpose. He's formed them for a purpose. He's called them and, and he's, he's chosen them out of all the peoples of the whole earth and he's walking them through this plan. So right now when we catch up with Israel, they've left Egypt. So you guys have seen that movie, Prince of Egypt, right? Yeah. yeah. He loves that movie, this guy right here in the front. So they've left Egypt. They've crossed through the Red Sea. They're in the desert now and they've been wandering for a long time. Almost, they've been wandering at this point right at 40 years. They're on, they're in this journey. And whenever you read about Israel, it's always a picture of us, this exodus from slavery before we knew Christ to the promised land, all that he has for us. We're, we're on that same journey, each of us that Israel is on right here. And it says, while Israel was staying in Shittim. Now, I think that's a funny word. <laughs> Shittim is a really funny word for a lot of reasons. Obviously, you guys know the main reason. And so I actually studied it to say, is this, I'm about to, you know, preach this in front of a lot of teenagers. Like, is that actually how you say that word? And I studied like all these different commentaries. It's actually Shittim. You can say Shittim in church, y'all, interestingly enough. But anyway, this day, so they camp at this place called Shittim. I just want, I'm just going to keep saying it because it's, it's, it's actually in the Bible. So and here's, here's what makes it even, y'all want to hear something even funnier about this, this place? This is the last camp before the promised land. You want a promise for your life today? Anybody want a promise? 
If you feel like your life is in Shittim, the promised land is right around the corner. <laughs> Take it. Y'all grab, y'all grab, hey, everybody grab hold of that promise. You got it? Never lose it. All right, so, so they're in this camp, kind of funny. And, but something bad's happening. It says the men begin to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women. It's a sin here. This is not good. This is the first time we see this happening in Israel's history. That, and this is God who's rescued them, and now they're just totally disregarding um, his standard and what he's called them to. Verse 2 says, These Moabite women invited them to the sacrifices of their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal. This is his false god. First time you ever see Israel in Scripture worshiping this false god of Baal, which we see it over and over from this point on. So they're worshiping, and of course, the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and kill them. <laughs> That's all. Aren't y'all glad that doesn't happen today, like when you mess up? Poof! Roll tide. All right, y'all gone. Like God up in heaven saying, roll tide. Poof. Anyway, so kill them, expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so the Lord's fierce anger may be turned away from Israel. He's trying to cleanse this, this awful thing that's happening. And, in, and it sounds awful, but really God, God's, trying to, God's, God's trying to protect his people from this, this, in, this sin that's got into their camp. And so, so Moses said to Israel's judges, each one of you put to death those of your men who have joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. Then an Israelite, and we're gonna come back to this a little later, an Israelite man brought to his family. So in the middle of all this, after God has already said, we're gonna kill them all. In the middle of this, this guy has just the, the, just the I mean, just, just, guts to go sin right out in front of everyone. He says he brings one of these, Mo- these Midianite women, these Moabite women, right before the eyes of Moses, right in front of the leader, Moses, in front of the whole assembly of Israel while they're weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they're all upset about this sin. And this one guy's just like, I don't care about God. And he says it in such a way, so brashly that he, in front of everybody, even Moses, he brings one of these women into his tent. Verse seven says, when Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest saw this, he was moved. He left the assembly. He took a spear in his hand and he followed that Israelite into the tent and he drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. So Phinehas dealt with his sin. So they're in the act of indiscretion in their tent and he takes one spear and drives it through both of them. It's pretty crazy. But then the plague against the Israelites was stopped but those who died in the plague, number 24,000. The Lord said to Moses, this is such a great, great scripture. Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites, for he was as zealous. Everybody say zealous. zealous. Say it like you mean it. Say zealous. zealous. He was as zealous as I am for my honor among them, so that in my zeal I did not put an end to them. Verse 12, therefore tell him I am making a covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of God and made atonement for the Israelites. Today, I want to talk to you guys about mission. I want to talk to you guys about mission. To be on a mission, as we see there with Phinehas, you got to come out of the crowd. There's a crowd in our generation of people who are weeping and upset about all the things we're seeing happen in our generation. But there's some of you, just like Phinehas, that God's going to crawl, call out of the crowd and into a mission. So if you want to write down a title for today's short talk, you can write out of the crowd and let's pray as we start. Jesus, we love you. We thank you today for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. And God, we thank you for mission. We thank you that we're on this earth created in advance to do great things. And God, I'm in front of a room of probably close to a thousand young people who are at the perfect age to catch hold of this truth. And if they do, God, you will use them to change the world and the plague can be lifted. And God, I thank you so much that today you're going to speak. And God, so we, I get out of the way, we get out of the way, and we let your word be front and center. And God, we love you. And God, we thank you for all the free water here at Desperation so we don't die of altitude sickness. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen, amen. 
So I love mission. I love this idea of mission. I love being on a mission. I think there's a lot of guys in the room. Any guys in the room who, when you were young, you dreamed of being like on a mission, like accomplishing like Rambo style. A few of you guys? Well, I did. Anyway, so a few, about a year ago, I got a chance to be on a mission. It's kind of cool. So um, I was at our, our church in our, in our youth ministry, and I was preaching this message um, to our youth ministry. And we were, on the, we were in this series on, on kind of speaking to the, just like Pastor Brady did to the women. And then the next week I was speaking to the young men and it was just a really powerful night. I mean, it was an incredible message. In fact, I think I stole the whole thing from Pastor Aaron Stern. Like I just went online and like podcasted it and preached it. It was great. Anyway, God moved. And so it was just an incredible night. But around that event and like the weeks before that message, in my neighborhood where I live, and I don't live in a bad, I mean, I, I live in a decent neighborhood. It should, this shouldn't have happened, but we, we were getting break-ins like every night. Like every night, someone's house, someone's car, you know, and my house got broken into our garage. They broke into our garage and stole a bunch of stuff in our garage while we were sleeping. And that kind of messes with you. I don't know if that's happened to anybody. Anybody ever got in their house or something broken into? Anybody raise your hand? Doesn't it kind of mess with you? Because the next night you have to go to sleep and you wonder, you know, is there somebody in my house, you know? And so, and so hide your wife, hide your kids. It's just like, what's going on? So, so, so like we're having this kind of moment or whatever. And so, so now all that's been happening and I'm preaching this message on being a man of God and I, and I get off the stage and, and for a bunch of, actually a bunch of our staff live in my same neighborhood. We're kind of all hanging out after that, that message. And we're like, you know, we're talking about being these men of God, but our houses, like our village is being pillaged. Like our houses are being broken into and we're not doing anything about it. Now I'm, I'm over 30 years old and I don't know what, what happened to us that night that we kind of did something this crazy, but we said, like in that moment after that sermon, we were so inspired by the word of God, we said, well, tonight it's gonna stop. Tonight we're gonna catch the guys who are breaking into our houses. We had no plan. Come on, ladies, don't you know guys don't really need a plan? We don't. All we knew is we were hungry, so we got some food, went back to my house, we sat there in my living room and Pastor Allen was there. He, he can agree this is all true. We didn't have a plan. We just were like having bro moments. Like, dude, we're going to catch those guys. Yeah, we're going to catch them. Dude, we are going to take them out. Oh, we're going to get them. Roll Tide. It's awesome. It's going to be great. And so, and so we were just hanging out, for, eating for a few hours. Our, our wives are all there. And, and, and at that point, Pastor Allen's you know, fiance, we're all hanging out or whatever. And they're all just kind of laughing at us. We're having fun. Well, in Alabama, and this, this, you know, this is just kind of Alabama. We all have guns in Alabama. We all hunt now, deer hunt. That's how we feed ourselves. We don't have grocery stores. So we have to go hunting and fishing. So it's like, we're, we're, we kind of were like, man, we got you know, to pro- protect our house. We're kind of having this big you know, moment. All I can say is this. It got to be like 11, 12 o'clock at night. And, and our energy began to fade. Like, okay, this is stupid. Okay, kind of the reality kind of started setting in. But right before we would have probably dismissed this little, you know, lynching party that we had developed to go like catch the bad guys, right before that, one of our pastors, his name's Hayes. Hayes just literally stood up, y'all. If I'm lying, I mean, I am not lying. If I'm lying, I'm dying, all right? This, this is how it happened. He stood up like and said, they're here. I'm like, what are you, Hayes, we're in the living room. We're gonna have a window. Like you can't even see out that front of the house. He's like, they're here. And so, and so we walked to the front and within 60 seconds of us walking to my front window, a, 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 what we call a ghetto cruiser comes riding by the front of my house. Wick, 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 wick. And we're like, so we walk out, of, out into my backyard and we can, we can see how this car starts going around our neighborhood. And this is not normal. Like, I mean, casing the neighborhood up into the cul-de-sacs and around and around the back of the neighborhood. And like it's our energy's building. We, we finally realize like they're really here. And so we just ran. We didn't even go back in. We just ran and jumped in Alan's, he has a forerunner. We jumped in his forerunner and we just took off after him. 
We're like punching each other in the face. Some guy had blue paint. He's painting himself blue paint saying freedom. We're like, what are you talking about? I mean, it's like, we're going for him. So we drive out of the neighborhood. We take a left down kind of the main road and we drive down and like within a minute, we're like, wait a minute, we just left the women and children back at the house. Like, so we we don't even know, like we don't, we can't even see them anymore. We just think they left the neighborhood. So we come back into our neighborhood. We we start driving around. And as we come around the corner, y'all, I've never seen anything like this in my life of the adrenaline in the moment. We see one of the robbers or at least we think he is. He's like nine feet tall, probably like six, five. But anyway, he's like nine feet tall, you know, kind of, kind of just walking down the road, got a hood on just, I mean, just like humongous guy walking down the road. And I, and like, the, the, I think it's the spirit of God, but whatever came over me and I, I opened the door of the Ford and we're like driving by and in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to jump out and tackle him. As we got closer, I'm like, dude, he really is really tall. Like he's really big. And so at, by the point, <laughs> by the point I got close to him, instead of going out, I began to go back into the car. But as I was going in, I said, we know what you've been doing, man. <laughs> Slam the door. I said, Alan, drive, <laughs> drive. And so, and so at that point we call the cops and we're like, there's some guys in our neighborhood. And you know, the, the dispatcher's name's like Tammy Ray or something like that. Anyway, it's pure Alabama. So it's like, we call him, we're like, Tammy Ray, we got the, we, there's some robbers in our neighborhood. You need to come get these guys. And she's like, all right, we're dispatching the cops. And we're like, what do we do? And she's like, follow them. That is not normal dispatcher language. Like, <laughs> follow them. We're like, okay. And so we go to the front of the neighborhood. At that point, the car had come back and we, we think they're picking the guy up probably because he obviously knew that we were there and we had seen him. And so anyway, Alan parks his 400 at the front of our neighborhood. There's only one way out. He blocks the whole road, y'all. Like we have that moment. We're playing chicken now. And so this car, you know, these massive cars coming down the road. They're probably going 80, 90, 10 miles an hour. Anyway, whatever. And they're coming like straight at us. And so we're like parked in the middle. We're like, I'm like, Alan, don't move. And he's like, I gotta move. I'm like, don't move. And then we move and get out of the way. Anyway, so the car pulls out and, and, and we probably rolled, right? It was just, we won the chicken game. Anyway, so the car pulls out, we pull out behind him. We're like, Tammy Ray, we're behind him. We're following him. She's like, she's like, follow him. So now we're on a high speed chase. And long story short, we go up. I mean, this is like now an hour into this whole thing. We're like following these guys and the cops aren't there yet. Cause you know, it's Alabama. So it's like, they're like five cities over is the closest cops. So like they're coming our way. And so they get, they're you know, getting closer and we're like, Tammy Ray, we're behind them. And so we get to this one point where we say they're gonna go up on the freeway. And if they get on the freeway, we're like, man, they're gone. She's like, stay behind them. The cops are close. So as we're pulling up on the freeway, it's kind of getting really intense moment because they could go either direction. And we're like, man, stay really close to them. So we're pulling up on the freeway. And this is the craziest thing of the whole night that probably happened. As we're getting ready to go on the freeway, we run out of gas. And, and all of a sudden, all this massive energy goes to, and so we, if we're on a hill, enough of a hill, we can get back to a gas station. So we basically just push the thing around, turn around, and we're coasting down to this gas station. But as we do, guess what we see, guys? The boys in blue. The cops right there going in high-speed pursuit up on the freeway. And now they're in pursuit. We're energized. We go get gas. We get up on the freeway. We follow them around for about a couple miles. We're just like, man, we're, they got them. They got them. And guess what? We start seeing blue lights around the corner. And yeah, that's right. The robbers were caught right there on the freeway. You can't come into our neighborhood and rob our houses. The pasture patrol got you guys. You went down tonight. You went down. So, that, I mean, at that point, we're like punching each other in the face. We're like, this is awesome. And this is like three in the morning at this point. So we drive home, we get out of the car, we're walking through our neighborhood. And y'all, there was this, this sense of like, everyone else is asleep. We got this guy's pasture patrol is in the neighborhood. Don't worry about it. Sleep, everyone. We're here. <laughs> Sleep, we got this. And so our neighborhood hasn't been broken into since. Pasture patrol is always available. If you need us anywhere in the country, we are... We're, we were, we were able to be hired 
And here's what I thought at the end of that that was so much fun. We had so much fun, but here's what I thought at the end of that. It's just fun to be a part of something big and mission. Isn't it fun when like you win a sports game or that you all as a group go and accomplish something or I don't know, you work together with your family, you put together a puzzle and you see the whole thing when it's together. Like any moment where you're part of something that accomplishes something, y'all look at me. It's a huge moment. And we think sometimes, I think that that's just adrenaline, like maybe in our night, but I'm telling you, walking up the road in our neighborhood with everyone sleeping and us knowing that in some way we had protected people, we'd accomplished the mission. There's something spiritual about that as well. It's wired into us by God. That he loves when we put our hands to something and accomplish something. And that's what I love about this scripture here in Numbers 25. And I wanna just break this down. Here's what I really want you guys to hear today is that when you're on your mission, you can't be asleep in a house. You gotta be out of the crowd. And what I see in Numbers 25 is that this man, Phineas, he came out of the crowd and accomplished the mission. And what I see in Ephesians 2, chapter 10 is that God has given us each that same opportunity. And I just wanna help you today to connect those dots. So this is a session. This is not, I mean, not a main session. This is kind of a breakout. I wanna be kind of practical with you guys today. So I want you to get pen, paper, iPad, iPhone, take some notes. So in the next few minutes, I just wanna share with you guys how you come out of the crowd, how you get a hold of your mission and ultimately how you have that same feeling, not, not the pastor patrol moment, but how we can end our lives. Hey, look, wouldn't it be great if we ended our lives with that same sense of, man, I, I did some things wrong and along the way it took me a while to figure it out. But once I locked in on mission, I accomplished it. And on my deathbed, I can say, I did the thing God made me for. And the world is different because of that. So how do you come out of the crowd? We'll look at that, that, that verse six of Numbers 25. I'll read it again. It says, then an Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right in front of the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So I'm reading this scripture and I just had this moment thinking about mission. I had this moment where I just thought, you know what? Isn't that such a picture of how we live our lives in the crowd, the crowd of our generation? So, so Moses and, and these, you know, all these leaders, they're very upset about this sin. They're very upset about the things that have happened. They're upset, so they're weeping because they can see that, man, God is upset and angry at this sin that's coming to their camp. But yet right in front of them, someone is walking in the action of the sin and yet they do nothing. Now listen, I don't, I don't know for sure. I'm, I mean, it doesn't say for sure what Moses might've done, but it doesn't say he did anything. And so for me, when I read into that, I think, man, how crazy is it that of all people, Moses didn't just jump out of the crowd and go take care of it. That yet it was just right in front of them. All this depravity was happening and yet nothing, no, no one's eyes were open to it. They were so focused in the crowd. And as Christians, I think in our generation, you know, we're upset because this show came on MTV or because this song came out and those lyrics are there. And we're so upset because that's all this stuff is right out in front of us. And we're like, man, this generation is just, we're facing so many things and we got this to face and this to face and it's so hard. And we kind of get in this little crowd of Christianity where we're weeping and we're upset about it, but we're not doing anything about it. We just got in this little crowd of weeping and moaning and fussing about how awful things are. And right in front of us, there's opportunity to change the world and our generation. But to do that, number one, you gotta do this. To come out of the crowd, you gotta open your eyes. You gotta open your eyes. And anytime we talk about our eyes or opening our eyes, we're talking about vision. And I just believe it that young people and the young people I work with at our church, what we're always trying to put, I'm telling you, this is my burden. What we're always trying to put out in front of them is that God has something in your life. He has a mission for you. But to go on that mission, you're gonna have to first have a vision. You're gonna have to open your eyes to see the unique way that God made you and how that fits into our culture and the problems that we face today that you are there to be the solution for. We gotta open our eyes. And how crazy is it that we could live our lives, even a guy like Moses in front of him, 
this crazy sin is happening and the truth that can be our, our lives as well. Or we can open our eyes and be part of the solution. I was reading this in a book a few weeks ago. It said, without vision, there is no mission. Crazy that that connects directly to this topic. Without vision, there's no mission. If you don't open your eyes to see first in front of you what is going on, then you can never get a true picture of the mission that God is calling you to. Without vision, there's no mission because vision paints the target. It sparks and fuels the fire within and it draws us forward. And that's what I want to happen in your life is that you leave desperation, not with a lot of information and man, a lot of Jesus goosebumps and man, that was awesome. But that something would spark in your life and it would draw you forward from the crowd. Y'all look at me right now, young people, you have the energy and the creativity and the passion and the time. And and just honestly, the innocent faith, the, the belief inside of you is still so new and so fresh. You can change the world. That God can spark something in you that can change nations, but it has to start by opening your eyes and getting a vision of what that is. And that, if that could happen this week in your life, how incredible could that be? Vision paints the target. It gives you something to draw forward towards. And without vision, you go nowhere. If you show me a person without vision, a young person without vision, I'll show you a person that's getting blown around in their high school. That every sin, every party, every temptation with their girlfriend or boyfriend, every moment where it gets hard, they're going to get blown around and end up falling because they don't have anything bigger than that to look towards. Yeah, they love God. They haven't allowed God's love to move through them and towards the thing he's called them to. You gotta have open your eyes. You gotta have that vision if you're gonna step out on mission. So how do you get your vision? I want you to write down these three kind of sub points to that big idea of opening your eyes. I think these are practical. Hopefully they'll help you. They're simple, but they really will help. These are things I rehearsed in my own life as I'll share here in just a moment. But the first one is, it is this, when you open your eyes, when you get a vision for your mission, the first thing you gotta do, and this is so important, start with a great commission. I bet there's a lot of you here like, pastor, I'd love to have a vision for my life. I don't know where to start. You start at the Great Commission. Jesus left us here with some instructions. And I think sometimes, I know in my own life, I'll talk to myself right now. I I see things, I start dreaming dreams that are so disconnected from the raw truth of what God has called us all to as as a body. And that's to be his hands and feet and to take his name to the nations, to go. Everybody say go. Y'all awake today? Everybody say go. He's called you to go. And I think sometimes we get so starstruck and we think, oh, because they're doing it, I'll do it. Or maybe that's what I'm called to. Or we see something, you know, on a blog or on, on Twitter, or on Instagram. We're like, man, that Christian's doing that. That's, some, that's incredible. They made these shoes and sold them for this and it helped that person or they did this orphanage or whatever it is. And we're like, that's what I'm supposed to do. But it's not your mission. It's not your vision. And God wants you to have the unique vision that is for you. And it's starting right there at the Great Commission. And here's the second part, is you get a hold of that Great Commission and understand deep in your heart how your entire life is to accomplish that goal, to take his name to the end of the nations. And then you go into worship and prayer and ask God questions over and over if it takes it. Weeks, months, and years if it takes it. He's not slow to speak, but at times we're slow to catch up with what he's already saying. You stay in that place of worship and prayer until you get a God vision for your life that'll flow always and you can keep yourself accountable because it'll always flow back to the Great Commission. How is what this vision that God has given me, how does that connect back to the raw truth that I'm called to be hands and feet of Jesus for every day of my life, every moment of my life? And you get in worship and prayer. And now here's a promise. And you can find me on Twitter or whatever. If, I, if I'm lying, you can find me and you say, Pastor, you lied. I, I promise you, you won't. God is always faithful. He will speak to you. He will give you that vision. Some of you guys have gotten frustrated on the way and you've quit asking God and you've started asking your friends or you've quit dreaming at all and looking for vision. God wants that to be re-sparked in your life this weekend. Go to him in worship and in prayer and in fasting. Dedicate your life and say, God, I'm not gonna move until I hear your voice. And I tell you, God's gonna like that. 
Ephesians 2.10, he has a good work for you to do. He prepared you in advance. So the work is already ready. God's gonna speak it to you. He's gonna give you the confidence and it's gonna come in that place of worship and prayer. Y'all got that? Say, got it. Start at the Great Commission. Man, go to God and, and worship prayer and in fasting. And then the third thing is so important, man, submit that to spiritual authority. Your youth pastors who are heroes, by the way, and you go to your youth pastor or your parents or you go to someone in your life who you respect in God who's further on the journey than you are and say, hey, listen, but I've been in this season of prayer and fasting because I really just want my life to accomplish a great commission, but I want it to be unique. I want it to be through creative arts or through maybe education or I want it to be through ministry in the local church or I want, I want it to be through government or whatever it is that kind of God centers you on. And, and in that, I feel like this is kind of the thing he's made me for. You know me pretty well. Is that, is, do you agree with that? Can you pray with me about that? And spiritual authority is not there to squash your dreams. That's, that wouldn't be a very good person for you to be submitted to. But spiritual authority will pull the best of that vision out. And anything that's not of God and not for you, they'll help you dismiss, dismiss that and laser focus it onto the thing you know you're made to do. It's, it starts with a great commission. It's prayer, fasting, and worship, and submitting to spiritual authority. These simple things are how we get a vision for our life. I was 17 years old. How many 17-year-olds we got? And here, I love that age, my favorite age as for a teenager because it's, you've kind of gotten past the scary part and you're not yet to the next scary part. It's kind of right there in the middle. It's like, I'm hanging out here at 17, got some confidence. Next year, it's all gonna get scary again when I go to college. But anyway, at 17, my life changed forever. And my, this, this vision, my vision for what I'm doing here today, so I'm sharing my story because that's what I got. I got my story. And when I was 17, I'd been so confused for a few years. I'd been begin to follow God, was around my youth pastor and he really challenged me with the vision thing. He didn't do it like I'm doing it today. He had his own way in doing that. And that was just throwing me out into opportunity. He was like, okay, Mark, you do this, do this, do this. And whatever I was good at, he was like, okay, that might be God. Whatever I was bad at, he was like, okay, let's not do that. So anyway, that's kind of what my life had looked like. But in that, this ministry and not just ministry, but like youth working with our, our generation, my eyes were opened to the depravity of my generation and I wanted to do something about it. And I'd been in this place of worship and prayer and it's a cool story and I only share it because it was really my motivation. And in that time of worship and prayer, I was scared because no one in my family had ever done youth ministry. Maybe that's where you are with your vision. You've already gotten it, but you're scared to death of it. I was there. And it was so cool that in that moment where God had already kind of shown me, you're gonna spend your life working with this generation. I was, I was taken back to a moment, a story of my grandfather who, who he'd shared this story, story with me years before and he had already passed away, but I, I was literally taken back to this moment. And I think this may encourage you as well, where he was, he was in the military in World War II. He was a, actually a general, really cool. He had um, gone through the, kind of the ranks and, and by towards the end of the war, he, he was a general. And so he had a lot of responsibility and authority and he's this incredible man, incredible man of God and just brilliant. He's a brilliant strategist. And so my, my, my grandfather was part of the D-Day invasion. And so I remember as a kid, that was cool to me. I'm asking stories about all this. And he was part, one of three people that helped plan. He was an engineer. So he helped plan where every single landing ship, you guys have seen the movies or something where all, you had all these landing ships, right? Y'all like history? We don't like math. Anybody like history? All right, so anyway, so I kind of do like history. So, so all, where every one of these landing ships had placed, I remember as a, as a kid, isn't that, I mean, like maybe you've been around a grandfather or uncle or maybe your parents who've been in the military. They're so, it's just so cool. I can remember being drawn into that story. And at the same time, when he's sharing about D-Day, I'm scared to death thinking about if I was a part of that. But I'll never forget this, this, this line has really shaped a lot of my life. I can remember asking him questions like, you know, his, we called him Pop. I was like, Pop, how did you do that? Like, how did you go from, safety of America to like in, in the middle of, of, of D-Day on a beach with people shooting each other everywhere. And he just, in his own way, and this is the way I sum it up, he just said this. He said, Mark, because no one else was coming. We did it that day. We, we took our best plan, the vision we had, 
And we just said, you know what? If we don't do, there's no one else coming. And at 17 years old, I can remember thinking, like, if I don't do something for my generation, there's no, there's no one else coming. Like, if we lose a generation, we've lost. And that has stayed with me every single day that that vision was reinforced with a, with a story from my granddad, but it was in a place of worship and prayer and a motivation came from that. I want you that, that, that fire, that vision in your life to begin to burn today and for you to go after it. And here I am, I'm 32 years old now. I'm still living out of that vision in my youth pastor's living room that came in worship and prayer that I'm called to youth ministry. And I pushed through any of the fear and stepped out into it. And my life has been marked by that measure of faith that came from that. And I so desperately want that for each of you guys. The first step, if you want to live a life of mission, is you got to open your eyes. All right, I'm going to cruise through this next one. This is, this is so important. And it comes from, from uh, verses 7 and 8 there in Numbers 25. The story continues, and we've already read through it. So remember when this guy Phineas actually steps out. So Phineas sees what's happening. He has the vision. He steps out of the crowd, which I'm calling you guys to. It says, when Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, saw this sin, he left the assembly. He had this vision, but he, his vision was that he took a spear in his hand, and he followed the Israelite into the tent, and he drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. So if you get a vision to go kill somebody, don't do it, all right? But in this case, this is, this is so encouraging because it's our story is that we are encouraged to see someone who just did the thing that God had called them to do. And it's so encouraging to know that we, just like him, can step into that. So it's one thing to get your vision. And I think even a lot of times we get, the, we get a vision for our life and because of fear or whatever else, we stop there. But it's so encouraging to see someone who went into action. And that's really the next step is, is when you move past, past opening your eyes and getting a vision, the next step is to take your step. I want you to write that down. I gotta take my step. And I just think if you're at desperation, that may be where a lot of you are right now, heading home this school year, coming up this fall, God's giving you vision to reach your school. Anybody wanna see their school have a revival this fall? Aren't you, are anybody tired of seeing their friends' lives get destroyed by stupid decisions that God has answers for? Anybody besides me sick and tired? I w- we experienced a suicide this week at our church. A young girl who'd been a part of our ministry, who'd, who had gone in, in, into her adult life confused, had left the things of God and had gone into this confusion and just took her own life this week. And when, when Alan and I heard that, it wrecked us because we know God had the answer for her. I want to be a part of the solution that brings that answer, not just to a crowd, but to individuals like Kyrie, who they can catch a hold of it. We don't have to lose any more in our generation. We don't have to lose one more person to it because the power of God lives in you. It's your mission field. And God calls us to get a vision, yes, but take a step. Everybody say, take a step. Phineas took action. That's why I respect him. That's why he's blessed because he took action. He took his spear in his hand. He dealt with what was in front of him. I want you guys to take a spear to your high school, not literally, but I mean spiritually and just take care of the sin around you because you have the words of life. Look at somebody and say, I got the life. I got life. You have his word. Oh my goodness, if we got a hold of this, it would change everything. Just this room would change our whole nation. They would write books about what happened if we caught a hold of it. So how do you take your step? I want to give you three things here. You know, step is, is action. Step is what we call in our, in our ministry, we call that motion, putting our faith in motion. It's walking on the water. It's, it's stepping out into the dream, the vision, the miracle, like we sang about this morning. And this is why I always tell teenagers, okay, you got a vision? 
Okay, you've, you've gone to God, you've submitted that spiritual authority. Okay, what do you need to do to accomplish that vision? And I always say the very first thing is this, build a team of people around it. You get your friends around your vision, people who agree with it, love it, who believe in it. You don't ever try to do anything alone in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is meant to be relational. I think a lot of teenagers, when they mess up, they get, they get and adults too, we get alone in that. Or we try to, we're, we're maybe afraid to even share our vision with people, so we never bring people around it. And God wants you to get a group of friends. Maybe your vision is to reach your school. God wants you to get a group of friends who are here at Desperation, who are catching hold of the things of God, to get around you, and for y'all this summer and into the fall to begin to pray about it, dream about it, keep each other accountable to it. And that's what you get when you get a team. Teams accomplish the dream, all right? That's how you get the vision. That's how you win the mission. That's how we caught the robbers. We had a group of pastors in a car, six of us, and we were gonna catch those guys. And it was a whole lot of fun because none of us were alone. And honestly, I never would have done it alone, which probably would have been a good thing (laughs) in that case. Just get a group of people around you, accountability, encouragement, covering, support. I mean, you need some comrades, some teammates. And there's something great when that happens. Here's the second thing. If you wanna take your step, you gotta make a plan. And a great plan will always come from a great team. So when you got people around you, your friends who just love you and love the vision that God is giving you or giving the group as a whole, then you just make some plans to accomplish that. We have students who want to reach their school. They've come up with some incredible plans, things like we've seen happen in, our, in some of our schools where they take bottles of water on the very first day of school, or they've started prayer meetings in their school that have literally changed things. They've done outreaches to their community. They've gone around and they've done things like, like tailgates at football games, and that's made a huge difference in the culture of what's going on in their school. And it's crazy to see how those plans always come from teenagers who probably, they, they felt like they were disqualified, but God gave them a vision, and now they're, they're stepping out in faith. And because of their faith, God is blessing that. We have a, one school assembly in a middle school that has seven or 800 students on a morning that are coming together to pray, and it's led by students. How crazy is that? They just got a simple plan where they knew they could do it, and they stepped out in faith. So you build a team. And you make a plan. And here's the last thing here under that kind of idea of taking your step is that you make your life, you build your life around your vision. You build your life around your plan. Can I help you guys save a lot of money when you go to college? Maybe some of you are already in college, you already wasted it and you can agree with this. There's a million things you can chase, success, money. You can, you can chase the path of least resistance, which is what a lot of people do. There's only one thing that's gonna give you the return you're looking for. And that's to chase the mission of God on your life. And God is calling you. And I love what it says in Philippians 3. He says, Paul says, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I've got this mission, but I haven't quite gotten it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal because I want to win the prize which God has called me. Man, I'm t- right now in this moment, I want, t- I want to tell you something. I feel like this is from God in this moment. Some of you guys are at this place. You've gotten a vision. Maybe you've even had some part of your life built around seeing God move in that area but you're starting to focus on some other things. And God wants you to hear this morning, lock in on the mission. Press on towards the goal. Build your entire life around it. Go to DLA, find another ministry school or college. You go to that college that has that major that you know you're called to, to launch your mission. You step into the workforce after you graduate because you know the mission God has called you to. Whatever it is, you lock on and you put everything else to the, to the left or to the right and you walk that narrow path and I, you will have the most incredible life you could ever dream of. And you will, just like Paul did, you will accomplish the goal he's called you to because you pressed towards it and all of your life energy took you there. It's an incredible promise. It's also an incredible discipline to build into your life that I'm not gonna waste energy anywhere else. If God is really big and God is really, I mean, the big deal and he's called me to something, then I'm gonna build my whole life around it. And people are gonna think you're crazy for that. 
People are going to think you're insane for thinking that much of God and not putting God on a Wednesday night or a Sunday, that you're going to put him in every fabric moment of your life. But I'm telling you, those are the great men and women of God that change things, that lock in on the goal. That's the same thing as Paul. Same thing I want to be true about my life. I press on towards the goal. We've got to open our eyes to what's happening. Spiritually, that's got to happen. I pray that happens this weekend. And then you get hold of a vision. We've got to take our step. And when you take your step, God can do big things. I mean, I was here at Desperation. It was, it was in 08. I was here at this, um, at this campus. We did a, a prayer meeting of youth pastors. And during that prayer meeting, God gave me a vision to, car, to start a, a conference like Desperation back in Birmingham because Alabama needed it, honestly. We need the local churches to come together. I can remember being so scared of that vision. I'm scared of what, how it would happen. And David Perkins encouraging me and guys like Aaron Stern encouraging me. And for, for me, flying back home to Birmingham, having no clue, but I do know this, I got a great team back home. I got friends who love our generation just like I do. And I remember those early days of us dreaming about how we could start a conference in our city that could reach churches of every denomination to reach the lost. I remember us putting together our plan and guess what guys, we're five years in and in a few weeks, we're gonna have our, our fifth motion conference in Birmingham and we're expecting 6,000 young people to show up. And that started in desperation. So for you guys to be in the same, listen, my, the, what I'm living out right now was birthed in the same place. There's an anointing at this conference that can happen in your life. And it's not because we're great. I'm definitely not great. Our, our team, they're all amazing people, but we're not great as a team. We're from Alabama, y'all, roll tide. But I know this, we believe God could do something. And now Baptist and Methodist and Pentecostal and Catholic and different denominations are coming together to worship God. And that's never happened in our city. It's never happened. And it's because of the same things I'm telling you. And that same thing is inside of you. Go for it. Put everything else to the left or the right. And just like it says in that verse, y'all, the plague was lifted. That's the promise. When you live on mission in whatever the area that is, God will lift that plague and his name will be lifted high, all right? Here's the last thing I, say, I share with you from the scripture. And this is a promise. Really the two action steps are get the vision and take your step. The promise is this, verse 10 through 13 it says, and then the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites, for he was as zealous for I, as I am for my honor. Isn't that inc- Wouldn't you love God to say that about you? That you're as zealous for his honor as he is? That's a big statement. So God's just like, man, I love this guy Phinehas. He just locked in on the mission and he did it. And that's what he loves loves to see in us. He says, so that my, in my zeal, I did not put an end to them. Therefore, tell him I am making a covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of God and he made an atonement for the Israelites. Here's the last thing I want you to write down. You gotta open your eyes, you gotta take your step. And the third thing is this, receive your promise. There's a promise for those people who will live out their mission that those people who don't live out their mission will never receive. There's a promise for those who lock in on the God thing inside of them and build their life around it. And what I love is that that, that peace or 